Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Football Social Daily, the only daily, entirely Premier League-focused podcast. Click subscribe now so you never miss an episode because we're bringing these to you every single day and the football is fast and furious at the moment. There is loads to talk about today. I'm Jim Salverson. got Nar McCorn on the podcast. Hello, Jim. We've got Marley Anderson as well. Hello. Uh, just before we uh, just before we get into this, um, I'd like to officially apologise to everyone because obviously if you listened to yesterday's podcast, you will have heard me say that Man City are definitely going to win Chelsea and you know it's, it's a decent bet as well you know evens to win a football match and obviously because I said that they got beat so if you could divert all hate mail to Jim's address that'd be great well if you get us on the Marley looks after the Twitter account at the sports social if you message him on there if you did bet on it on his advice he will refund you his money to just contact him directly. And loads to get at today. We've got Chelsea beating City, as Marley says. We've got Burnley putting Watford back in trouble. We've got Arsenal winning away at Southampton. We're going to be tackling a couple of your questions on the AQA section of the podcast, because it is Friday. We like to answer your questions on a Friday. And we've got a football advice, a fancy football advice from the guru, our fancy football expert towards the end of the podcast as well. That's about it, isn't it? Nothing I'm missing off from the... The agenda? No, I don't think anything else no, happened well, yesterday. Yeah. Look, we have to face up to the grim reality. We have to <laughs> look look at this <laughs> as it is. Liverpool are Premier League champions. The loss last night, Man City losing to Chelsea, hands them the trophy without even kicking a ball. And we can't do the podcast without our token Liverpool fan. So let's get let's get Steve McNaughton on, shall we? How does it feel, Steve? How does it feel? Premier League Champions 2020. It feels amazing, to be honest, Jim. Um, you know, obviously, still trying to process it all, but, you know, everyone connected with Liverpool Football Club is feeling pretty euphoric as of about 12 minutes past 10 last night. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. You know, it's this has taken a long time. This has been a culmination of a plan that was put in place over a decade ago when FSG come in and, and bought the club um, and saved it from administration, really. You know, let's not forget Liverpool were hours away from going into administration and um, they put a plan in place, recruit a world-class manager in Jurgen Klopp and recruit the right players that fit the profile of the club and they have the personality. And, you know, we've had a few false dawns in, in you know, 09-13 and last year, obviously, lose it by one point to a, a fantastic Man City team. This feels brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And um, massive thank you to Jurgen Klopp and the players for, for what they've achieved and how they've made everyone connected with Liverpool Football Club feel this morning because this this is mega. There's going to be naysayers who say that it doesn't count as much this year. And I think I think it's probably a fair assumption that maybe it didn't feel as special yesterday as it would have had it been in front of a packed downfield, had you been playing a game had it been under different circumstances, does it feel a little bit, because it has been creepingly inevitable, does it feel a little bit like 
it's been got out of the way rather than it's been this great big moment. Absolutely, Jim. Let me tell you, when, when you've waited as long as we have, and you'll, you'll take it. And is it in perfect conditions? It's not because, you know, we've had three months off of football and we're playing the games behind closed doors. I mean, we were so close to it anyway, um, you know, which, which was um, tricky. But it, it's been a really confusing period for, for us all concerned. And I've been saying it on the, the podcast regular everyone's priority or every normal person's priority was saving lives during the pandemic that, that, that we've experienced or still are experiencing the back end of it. Um, football took a second seat to it. And then when there was inklings of football coming back and we started getting a bit excited again, it was like, well, you know, the null and void brigade started coming out. So, you know, we've had the pandemic and the threat to, to life. And then we've had the fact that the season might be cancelled. And then we've had the glimmers of hope that it might come back and, it's come back and um, the football's been pretty terrible apart from a couple of games. I thought uh, we looked fantastic against Palace the other night and we were really at the races after one of the worst games you'll ever see against Everton, you know, on the Sunday night. And Man City have looked brilliant. So, you know, normal service is, is kind of looking like it was resuming. But it feels fantastic when you've had the, the monkey on our back the way we've had for so long because even though we've won Champions Leagues and UEFA Cups and Super Cups and FA Cups and League Cups and all the kind of good stuff. This is the kind of real deal. Um, you know, winning the Premier League and being champions again is, is so important to us because a club of our stature and size and, and with the ambition that we've got shouldn't have gone 29 seasons, 30 years without doing it. But it's happened. We've, we've kind of almost broke the seal again now. And we've, we've just got to keep going because I've just said to a friend of mine, you know, the hunter has become the hunted now. Everyone's going to be after Liverpool and it's going to be a different pressure that they experience next season because everyone's going to want their title. And we're just going to enjoy it. We're going to, we're going to kind of bask in it. We're going to go over the top on social media, as you guys are probably noticing with me. And um, Liverpool, just, mute. <laughs> yeah, I'm just so kind of thrilled by it all. And, you know, we will have a parade at some point. I think, you know, they're talking about October, November time to potentially have a parade if, if it's safe. Um, you know, there'll be a million people on the streets of Liverpool for that. I think we had around 750,000 for the 2nd of June last year after we won the Champions League again. And um, it's fantastic for the city. It's great for the economy. It's just good for the vibe of the place. And we're now kind of with the things that have been going on behind the scenes with, you know, the new training ground, that's the state-of-the-art training ground that's been built and the renovations at Anfield where our capacity is going up and up and up the commercial deals that are in place. Everything is good with Liverpool at the minute. And we've just got to enjoy it until, while Jürgen's here, um, while we've got owners that are still invested in the club and, you know, don't have um, an exit strategy that's looming. And, you know, it's just, it's brilliant. There was a few tears shed last night, as you can imagine, when it kind of finally hit me. And it wasn't the perfect way to do it last night by uh, Chelsea doing it. But we probably would have got a draw at least at the Etihad anyway and done it. And I think it would have been nice to do it at Man City. I think we, we spoke about it at length in the past and said, you know, I, I, I fancy doing it at the Etihad. Um, but we'll take it just so we can say, you know, we're champions. We'll get that gold badge on our kit next season. And, mm. um, you know, it's just brilliant. But we've got to keep evolving. Like I've always said, you know, we've got to add one or two in um, and, and level up if you like. And, you know, because we want to stay on top now. And, um maintain our position as the most successful English side of all time, really. Before we let you go and get on with your celebration, Steve, and I don't think anyone's going to argue that Liverpool deserve it this season. They just wanted it more. They've just been relentless whole season. So they do deserve the title and congratulations. Although what I have seen going around on social media today, particularly, is claims that this is the greatest ever Premier League team, which before I let you have your say, Steve, I just want to go around the houses and just see what the kind of view on that is. Let's start with Niall. Greatest Premier League team? Are they even well, you up you can't there? because the season's not over yet. So if they get over 100 points, and like Steve said, they broke the record with the amount of games to spare. If they get over 100 points, then they're in the bracket because Manchester City often claim that their team that got 100 points, the Centurions, are the greatest Premier League team of all time. So if Man City fans are claiming that, I think Liverpool fans have a right to claim if they get to that 100-point barrier... And that's 98, 97 points and 100 in one season, then they've got a claim. If they win it next year and the year after, they've got a shout. If they win it this year, and as Steve says, they don't strengthen and they end up finishing third, fourth next season, then I'm sorry, I can't, I can't feel that that's a fair enough comment. They are an incredible football team. But as Steve says, the sign of a great team is to strengthen when you're on top. 
and not spending 50 million on Werner. And I know clubs are feeling the pinch because of the coronavirus pandemic. That, I hope, does not come back to haunt Liverpool Football Club because I think for Liverpool, the way it's been so long, 30 years for one title, these boys will be satisfied. They'll enjoy their week. They'll enjoy their weekend. There'll be plenty of ales drunk across the city, I'm sure. But next season, they want another one. And then after that, they want another one because that is the foundation of that football club where they've built it on success. They're one title behind Manchester United, who have got 20, which is the all-time English record for leagues. You really think Liverpool want to be stuck on 19? I don't think so. So to be the greatest Premier League team, I think they need to go and do it again next year to be in with a shout. If you think back to the you know the Man United team that dominated the, the 90s in the... The early 2000s, one thing they were just incredible at is just once they had the league by the throat, they just gradually just gripped and gripped and just just sucked the life out of everyone. Like the, to the point where it was like, who's going to get close to Man U this year? And that's what City have done in the last few years. And Liverpool have stepped up to the challenge, to be fair to them, and, and took them on, um, which a lot of people didn't think could be done. Um, so Liverpool have been amazing this season in terms of the relentlessness and the the gritty sort of winning when you don't look... I mean, Liverpool don't look as good as they did, they did last season, but they've won more games because they've got that grit and determination. They played better... I still maintain they played better football last season. They were more entertaining to watch. But that probably comes with the fact that they're a little bit more um, open at the back last year. And this year, it's like... Defences are like, Christ, we've got to get past Robertson, <coughs> Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk... Gomez and then if we get past them four you know you've got one of the best goalies in the world to get past as well so it's that thing but um, you know if, if they get to 100 I think they can get a maximum of 107 points isn't it um, and if they get that that's that's another thing to put in the history books but in terms of is this the greatest team in Premier League history of the one like a one-off season um, I'm not yet I don't think so not yet because as well, I mean, you know, when, when City got the 100 points um, last year, they also won the FA Cup and they also won the League Cup and they won, they just won everything. Liverpool like completely sacked off the FA Cup to go to the Club World Cup this year and they were, I mean, they knocked out the League Cup by uh, Villa when they put their under-23s out. So I think that would be the, the thing for me that just knocks them slightly under what Man City did last season. Um but um, there's still a claim there. But to have, I mean, Man City had it every every week and every competition. They would they would just murder everyone. Um, so for me, they're slightly ahead of them. And then, you know, if you go further back, you're looking at the '99, 2000 um, uh, Man United team. You're looking at the Invincibles from Arsenal, and you're looking at that Chelsea side that only conceded 15 goals all season. So there's a few teams in the mix. But Liverpool, are, Liverpool are definitely in that um, that discussion. But for me, not not quite yet. They need longevity, as, as you guys said. Steve, go on, final word before we let you go off and enjoy your celebrations. You guys haven't worked with me for a while now. We'll, we'll know that I'm a realist with these things as well. And I think that this feels fantastic and we're going to enjoy it and we're going to kind of milk it for as long as we can do. But realistically, we've done it once and um, we come close last year and we like we did with the Champions League and then decided we, we were going to do it. And... You know, there's a different pressure for us. It's a different atmosphere next season. And, um, you know, we, we've got to do it, really. And um, I think once we've strung a few together, I think then we can enter into the conversation. Greatest points tally, probably, um, which I think we know will be nice. And I think that's something we, we can talk about. And um, But we've, we've got a bit of work to do, to be honest. And, and have we got the right manager in charge? Have we got the right infrastructure? Have we got the right players that are hitting the peak of the careers and spending the peak of the careers at Liverpool? Yes, so... There's no reason why we can't with a couple of additions. And um, it's going to be exciting. You know, there's always excitement where Liverpool are involved. I think there's always something kind of going on and um, in a positive way. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll watch this space with, with bated breath and we'll, you know, no doubt have another race next season. I think, you know, Man City will probably spend again in summer. I think Man United will spend big in summer. Um, there seems to be the path clearing for them, you know, to sign Sancho and... Um, We'll see if they do that. And, um, you know, Chelsea have spent big um, on some of the deals that they've done already. And it's going to be an interesting race. And I think, you know, we we, we need to evolve uh, as a team. You know, we need to kind of sharpen up our bench for sure. Um, you know, there's not enough depth in the squad. And I think that's the difference between us and Man City is that they've got two teams that they could play and, and do a job on most teams. We, we haven't got that. And I think that's probably where I'd be looking to improve Liverpool. 
um, because I think some of the players who I won't name on this day um, for obvious reasons, but I think some of them don't have the necessary quality to come on and make a real impact if we're 1-0 down with 15 minutes mm. to go or um, I think people have done it in the past, but this season, you know, one player in particular has not had that moment, has he? So, um, we'll go again. You know, we'll keep trying to kind of um, improve and, and we'll strive to get better and we'll we'll try and be in this position next year as well and hopefully win, win the Champions League again. Um, you know, but it's all there and it's all within touching distance for Liverpool. If these, um, you know, ambitions are not unrealistic and I think what a position to be in and we've just got to enjoy this because things go in cycles, don't need to go in generations and we've had a, a barren spell where we've picked up a couple of UEFA Cups and you know FA Cups and League Cups and Super Cups and whatnot but you know we, we want to kind of start adding to this um, tally of being the most successful English club of all time. Can't see it being another 30 years. Steve congratulations well done. For Cheers your guys appreciate well, it. Steve, uh, congrats, we'll let you go and enjoy the celebrations. Right, thank God we got that out of the way. <laughs> we can talk about something else now. Liverpool Premier League champions 2020, they do deserve it. We have to give them that at least. Right, let's rattle through the games last night because there are other permutations from the three games that we saw played other than Liverpool winning the title. Let's start with Chelsea versus Manchester City. Two big things for me from this game, really. Firstly, Manchester City are going to struggle without Sergio Aguero. Yeah, I suppose you could say that. He's one of the best strikers the Premier League's ever seen. So, you know, it goes without saying that without him, it's going to be an issue. We spoke to Stephen McInerney on yesterday's podcast and he confirmed that uh, City fans are slightly concerned that he might not be back in time for the Champions League mini tournament to conclude the uh, the Champions League, which takes place at the start of August. So he's flown to Barcelona, Sergio Aguero, to get some surgery on his knee. Um, Pep Guardiola's favourite doctor, of course, is in Barcelona and he operates on all the players. So the operation took place yesterday. That's already been done. Meniscus damage in the knee, um, which thankfully isn't ligament damage, so it won't keep him out for a year to 18 months. He'd be out for five to six weeks. Sergio Aguero has had a long history of injuries and it's easy to forget with the record that he's got actually how many times and how many games that he's missed out on because of injury. The Premier League, thankfully, um, for Manchester City isn't a concern. Steve mentioned it as a monkey off the back for Liverpool that they've won the title. It's a monkey off the back for City in a way as well because they don't have to worry about the Premier League. They know that they're pretty much guaranteed Champions League football. They've got a big cushion. They're not going to let that slip. Even with Gabriel Jesus starting up front, they're still going to win a fair amount of those eight, seven games left, whatever it might be. So, Well, do you think Jesus is going to start up front? Because he doesn't seem like the one for Pep Guardiola. He Was, was he fit last night? Was he on the bench? I think he was. But I mean... Pep instead played that false nine, which sometimes is incredibly effective and sometimes just doesn't seem to give them that focal point. Pep's got seven games to do whatever the hell he wants because his team are going to finish (laughs) in the Champions League. They might not even qualify for the Champions League next season, depending on their court case with UEFA at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Of course, we find out what happens to that in a couple of weeks' time. But he's got all the time in the world now to experiment and figure out a way how to maintain that aggregate lead they've got over Real Madrid. Because the game won't be at the Etihad. The game will be in Lisbon somewhere, in Benfica's ground, probably. Mm. So the home advantage disappears. I'm not sure what the score is with Champions League and away goals, but City are wanting to get that Champions League title. They're absolutely chomping at the bit for that Champions League title. And if Pep feels that playing a false nine might be something he wants to try out before taking on Real Madrid, fair play to him. What I don't get on board with is all of this dispute about Gabriel Jesus saying that he's not good enough for Manchester City. Where has this narrative come from? I know he's got massive shoes to fill um, in Sergio Aguero when he departs the club, but Gabriel Jesus is a fantastic striker. His record, goals to games in the Premier League, is excellent. He's closing in on a half century of goals. Uh, I think he's only like 13 away, something like that. And he's played 70-odd games. It's not a bad record if you look at it, really, considering the games he plays. And he misses chances. And if he can start turning those chances into goals, he will be every bit as good as, as people are hoping he's going to be, because I think he's got a lot of potential, still very young. I think he's only 23, maybe even younger than that, Gabriel Jesus. So he's got a lot of potential ahead of him. The narrative that he's rubbish is, is absolute nonsense. He's just not as good as Aguero. And Marley will tell you, when you replace Alan Shearer with Obafemi Martins and, you know, players like that, and Luar Luar and, um, and Shola Amiobi, it's never going to be the case that they're going to be as good. Uh, it's just simple as that. So... Anyone that replaces Aguero is going to find it absolutely 
you know, it's going to find it so tough, aren't they? Mm. So Jesus is going to find it difficult. I think it's unfair. I think all he can do now is learn off of Aguero. They're going to miss him. Um, they're sweating really to see if he's available for the Champions League. I think they need him against Real Madrid and for the rest of that tournament. So let's just see if he's fit by the start of August. What about Chelsea, Marley? Because they are one of the few teams that's come out of lockdown and are absolutely flying. They've got two wins from two. Their next game is against West Ham. So three wins from three. We can call that now. I mean, they've just come out the blocks flying. Whatever they've done in the lockdown period, whatever they've done in their preparations for Project Restart seems to have worked. Yeah, and the the big um, I don't know whether this will work work in 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 Chelsea Chelsea's advantage in the long run. The thing about last night that no one's going to talk about is how well Chelsea played. Like when you think about Man City, they're you know they're an incredible team. Obviously, they haven't won the league, but we still know that they're they're one of the favourites for the Champions League. And in in a one off game, I don't think there's a there's a team better than Man City. In, in England in terms of like longevity I think that's where Liverpool have got them this year obviously you know if you look mm. at Man City winning cups and stuff last uh, the last few years no one, n- not many teams can beat them in a one-off game they've only really lost in the the, the only competitions they've not won is the Champions League haven't they so it's that kind of thing where if you're good enough to beat City on in a one-off game like that it, it's it's great. Um, you must be a very, very good team because not many have done it. So Chelsea were Chelsea were really good last night. They they coped well um, with with Man City's, um, you know, with De Bruyne and uh, Sterling in that in that false nine role, which I'm not really a big fan of. Um, but Chelsea Chelsea played really well and they took the chances and you know obviously, you know City have to make mistakes for you to win, but you have to capitalize on them and. Pulisic took his goal really well. Um, he should have been nursing an ankle injury on the halfway line because Mendy should have just booted him, um, but he didn't. And Pulisic finished it really well. He's playing really well since uh, the since the restart, and he looks great for next season. They've got Werner coming in. They've got Ziyech coming in. They've got Abraham. Chelsea could very legitimately have a title shot if they can get that defense sorted out and and sort out what's going on with uh, with Kepa, the uh, the goalie. You know, I still think he's a good goalie. I just it's whether they want to trust him because I think they were looking at Andre Onana from Ajax as well. So if they want to make that gamble, make the gamble and and make your defense a little bit better, maybe go and buy a left back if they can get Chilwell. Jesus, they'll be right up there, Chelsea. Maybe they've got the potential. They've got the youth on the side um, and the the experience of of playing and beating Man uh, Man City like that last night will will do them a world of good. The one big talking point from the game was probably the red card. Fernandinho stopping the ball on the line pretty much with his hand. I mean, why do players do that? Particularly in the world of VAR and video replays and all this kind of thing. What is it that makes them think they can get away with something like that? Because, I mean, it's never going to not be a goal. And at the same time, you're then banned for a future game. It's desperation, I think. I think it might be a South American thing as well. I mean, look at Luis Suarez. <laughs> when he got in trouble, he just decided to go around biting people instead. So, um, yeah, I thought the big talking point, actually, Jim, was not so much that, but more how bad Benjamin Mendy was for that sort of... I mean, you can call it a it's mistake a surprise, if you want. Though, is but it? out from the back, um, Chelsea played out from the back and Pulisic just like steamed onto this ball and managed to, to get beyond Mendy so easily and slide it past Edison for for 1-0. And I just think, how much patience has Pep Guardiola got left with Benjamin Mendy? He's surely got to be on his way in the summer. Um, Fernandinho, they're going to miss him, as you say, but I don't think they're really bothered City for the for this period mm. of Premier League games, as long as they've got him fit and available for the Champions League. But I don't know why players do that, to answer your question. I don't know. Um, I think it's just... I guess it's instinctive. I mean, your job is to not let goals in and, you know, I suppose, you know, Stephen Taylor tried it for Newcastle (laughs) once and nearly got away with it. So (laughs) I think, um, you know, when when Jim's saying like, you know, why do players do it? If if you, if you think about it, that ball was going in like hundred percent. If, if he doesn't handball it, it's going in and it's a goal. If you handball it and you give away a penalty, your goalie's got a chance of saving it. And Man City are a good enough, good enough team with 10 men. To um to to go and maybe nick a winner like you wouldn't you wouldn't say they've got they've got no chance with ten men because they're that good that there's every chance I'm not sure it went through Fernandinho's head at that moment I'll handball this like <laughs> like Suarez in the it's World a lot Cup. of information to process in a very short period of time yeah but if you think back to you know 2010 when Luis Suarez 
handballed that, um, well, saved that header from the Ghana corner. He had that in his head, like, right, I've, I've, this is going in and my goalie's got a chance of saving the penalty. And um, as it turned out, I think Asamoah Gyan smacked it so high it landed in the uh, the Indian Ocean. So, you know, it was one of them. Well, let's leave that there because we've got loads of games to get through. We've done Chelsea City. Let's do Burnley versus Watford next quickly because, I mean, Watford had felt like they were creeping slowly towards safety, having looked like they were down and out at the turn of the year. But does this loss to Burnley, it was 1-0 last night, put them back into the mix of relegation? Their form recently has been poor. Six points from 17, I think. Yeah, I think for Burnley, we said this yesterday looking at this game, that this was almost a chance at redemption in a weird way for Burnley. Not that the players had done anything wrong apart from getting absolutely smashed 5-0 by Man City. But with the way that the White Lives, ba- uh, White Lives Matter banner was flown over the top of the Etihad when they lost 5-0 to, to City on Monday, it did feel they had something to prove those players. You know, it, it was almost like this, this bizarre incentive for them to perform. And I think everyone's kind of mm. uh, understanding now that Burnley are pretty much in the clear when it comes to the relegation zone in the Premier League. I don't think too many people worry yeah, yeah. about them getting sucked back into it. So it did feel like that Watford... Maybe could have done without, everyone could have done without that banner, obviously. But Watford could have done without Burnley having that extra little bit of incentive to win this game. Especially it being at Turf Moor. Sean Dyche, of course, been in the headlines as well. Uh, You know, suggestions of a rift and a dispute with the board over not offering new players contracts. So maybe there was a little bit of extra spice and fire underneath Burnley in this game, which probably didn't do Watford any favours. Now... The one thing that Watford will really be kicking themselves about, and Nigel Pearson in particular, is that Bournemouth had lost, West Ham had lost, and Aston Villa could only manage a draw. So there was some real, and Norwich lost too. So there was some real opportunity there for Watford to really kind of scramble some points mm. and get themselves a little bit clearer of the danger zone. And against Burnley, you would have, if I was a Watford fan, I would have thought, right, this is one of those games. Everyone else has lost. We've got a team which we could quite comfortably beat here. It's not out of the ordinary for us to beat them. And we've blown it. Real sickening blow for Watford, really, um, for that to be the case. I mean, even a draw would have done them some good, really. A point uh, can be really useful at this stage of the season. So Watford would be absolutely gutted. I think, really, they picked up all this confidence after they beat Liverpool by three goals to nil just before lockdown. And then... That kind of eroded away very, very quickly. It it ebbed away almost as quick as it came along. Everyone was kind of, you know, reveling in the fact that they had beaten uh, Liverpool 3-0 and ended their unbeaten record. And yet all of a sudden, you know, they didn't really capitalise on on that win. So I'm not really sure it's uh, they're out of the woods just yet, Watford. I I do think that it's going to be tough for them. I think the only saving grace is um, they picked up a point against Leicester. They do tend to fight towards the... The, the death as well. Um, they had a header at the end of the game from Adam Messina, which went just over, which could easily have gone in. And, and a 1-1 draw would have been something they would have taken, I'm sure, after the position they were in. But do Watford look worse than West Ham at the moment? I don't think so. Do they look worse than Aston Villa? I think it's arguable. Villa played a lot better against Newcastle than they did against Chelsea and Sheffield United. So who knows? Do they look better than Bournemouth at the moment? Yeah, probably as well. So... I think they can't give up hope yet. I mean, it would be foolish to do that with so many games to go, but real missed opportunity for Watford, I felt, last night. West Ham won't get relegated this season, incidentally. I'm making that claim now, and they've been terrible. I'll I'll make this point on another podcast. We haven't got time today, but they won't get relegated. As for Watford, though, I mean, I I kind of predicted this. Nigel Pearson was going to come in, he was going to shout a bit, he was going to kick a few water bottles, he'd have an instant impact. It would kind of ebb away a little bit, which seems to be happening now doesn't it Marley it seems like he's had his impact but maybe isn't the manager for the long term for the club maybe um, they've had that they've had that immediate um, what do you call it that immediate sort of honeymoon period and, and then that culminated as Niall said with the um, with the win over Liverpool um, I still think Watford are probably the pick of the three teams that are in the in the, the fight in terms of who would you most likely back to win a game I would have backed mm. Watford to win last night against Burnley had the the banner thing not happened. I think this was a nothing game for Burnley if that banner didn't happen on Monday night. Burnley, I think Burnley would have just sort of slept, 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 walked into this. Do you know what I mean? And they, they didn't have anything riding on it. 
and it was a chance for Watford to go and pick up a, a massive three points with with the games that the other guys have got coming up. So, um, but with the with the banner thing, Burnley were like, "Hang on, we need to we need to make people for um, you know not prove that we're not a, a racist, horrible football club, and let's do that by starting and getting a win." And they they turned them over last night. I expected Watford to get at least a point, even with that. Um, I think. Deeney said uh, at half-time, Pearson gave them uh, a bit of a rocket and tried to get something out of him because he, he knew it wasn't going the way he wanted it to. And I still I still think Watford have got the um, the better chance to to survive of the, of the three of them, but we'll uh, we'll we'll see because it's so tight down there. I think maybe four points mm. might be enough. Like you know what I mean? There's four, five, maybe six points, just something. They just need to get a win from somewhere, but I think they're the best equipped to do it because they, they look the hardest to beat Watford. The final game from last night's fixtures was Southampton versus Arsenal, which just feels like a little bit of a nothing game now, given Arsenal's form post-lockdown. They had a chance of Europe, and Mikel Arteta said after the game, after Arsenal beating Southampton 2-0, that they had a chance of getting into Europe still. And I suppose they do have a chance, but it feels like it's slipping away and slipping away fast for Arsenal. It's important to mention that that was Arsenal's third away game in a row um, and away games aren't easy in the Premier League and I know there's no fans but um, I think that their record at the Emirates if you look over the last five to ten years even since it's been open their home record is actually really pretty good they don't lose many games at the Emirates Stadium away from home totally different story they're not very good in fact I would go as far to say that they're poor on the road at least it's been the, the situation under Emery and it looks like that's been the same now under Arteta three away games in a row never easy to, to restart your Premier League campaign um, but I felt that after the way they lost to Brighton they weren't going to lose to Southampton in a similar vein uh, the young players that Arteta's putting his faith into kind of came back to, to, to pay him back last night with goals from Eddie and Ketcher and Joe Willock so Two young players who have a bright future at the football club, it looks like. Uh, Bukayo Saka as well, another one who is, no one's sure if he's going to sign a new contract at Arsenal. I know a lot of Arsenal fans are keen that he does. He's on some really you know, peanuts wages in football terms um, at the moment. So I think he's kind of angling for a, for a better deal there. But uh, Arsenal, yeah, I, I think the European football still on the cards. I really do. And I think that's because I still think, even though Arsenal have been poor, that they're better than Everton. I still think that they're better than Crystal mm. Palace. Um, I still think that, you know, I don't think they're better than Spurs, but Spurs aren't exactly playing out of their skin at the moment. So um, we'll wait and see what Jose Mourinho does uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So I still think they're in with a shout. Sheffield United are dropping like a stone. They've lost 3-0 twice in a row, Sheffield United. So I don't think the door's been closed on Arsenal. I do think the door is still ajar. And Mikel Arteta, um, I like him. I really like him. I like his demeanour. I like the way he speaks after games. I'm a little bit concerned that he's not in full control of the club's transfer policy, particularly with the way that things have been dealt with, with signing these loan centre-backs to permanent contracts, some of which haven't kicked a ball, one of which is out for the rest of the season, another of which makes horrendous mistakes on a regular basis. So I just wonder whether Mikel Arteta is really having too much of a say in these transfer dealings, which is always a concern as a manager. But I did see an Arsenal fan mm. make a typical Arsenal fan on social media type point when he mentioned Jurgen Klopp came into Liverpool, inherited a good to average Premier League squad from Brendan Rodgers. I think Mikel Arteta has done a similar thing um, with some promising young players coming through. Uh, and they said, well, it took, it took Jurgen Klopp five years with backing from the board to get Liverpool into a position where they won the Champions League and now the Premier League. What's to say that Mikel Arteta couldn't do the same. Um, I think maybe slightly skewed comparison considering Arteta's first job is the Arsenal job and Jurgen Klopp had already won titles with Dortmund in Germany and got to a Champions League final with them as well. So I think it's a little bit unfair to make that comparison and how long can you keep picking up bargain players for like Robertson and turning them into like quality players? So yeah, I think Arsenal do have a chance of European football um, just purely because it doesn't look nailed on that anyone else is going to get it. I think Wolves are definitely going to get one of the spots. Sheffield United, I think, will drop out of the of the European spots. Don't think Everton will make it. Don't think Crystal Palace will make it. So I think it will be Wolves, Tottenham uh, and Arsenal. So I do think that they'll get a, a Europa League spot. 
2025, Arsenal Premier League champions. You heard it here first on Football Social Daily. I mean, I'd love to talk about Southampton, but it feels like their season's kind of done. They're being decent at home. They've been not very good away. They are safe. They're not going to get into Europe. So I'm not, I just can't think of anything to talk about their season so far, other than Ralph Hasenhutl's done an all right job. But I do want to talk about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who has made three starts in the Premier League since the restart now. Zero goals. I don't think he's offered a massive amount. Can we read into this, Marley, that maybe those rumours about him leaving the club are true? That he's kind of disengaged and he's not performing to his expected level? Yeah, I... I think so. I think with the with the business Arsenal have done in the last couple of weeks, that for me just screams that they've got no money. Like there's no there's no reason why you would sign Cedric on a four year deal if you had money to go and buy another defender. The fact is they've already got him. He's on a free at the end of the season with his Southampton contract expiring. So Arsenal have got him got him for free and they wouldn't have they wouldn't have spent ten million on him or twelve million, whatever his price would have been. So there's there's that. There's David Luiz, who's got a new contract, despite having probably the worst game of it in the last five years at, at Man City. That, again, proves to me that they've got no one else to go and buy. They've got no money to go and buy anyone else. They've got Pablo Marie, who is kind of, he's young and he could be good, so obviously they've kept hold of him. Um, and it, it's a similar situation. They've got uh, Saliba coming back um, from San Etienne as well. He, they've got high hopes for him, but then you look at the Aubameyang situation and it's kind of like, you know, there's a contract, but it's a lot of money um, that we could save on the, um, on the that we're, we're trying to save. It, it seems to me like they're scrimping and saving in the wage budget and maybe hoping to cash in on him because if they weren't trying to cash in on him, I think he'd be starting up front every week. And the fact is the last couple of games and Ketty has got the nod and and Ketty is probably on like twenty grand a week or something. So if he can move, you know, if he can sort of prove that he can do it in the in the top flight, which he he probably can because he's he's a hell of a potential. But it's asking a lot of a, a twenty nineteen twenty year old kid to to do that. But if they do, then that means Arsenal um, can move on Aubameyang, take the fifteen twenty twenty five million maybe that they'll get for him and invest it in other areas in the squad because. Arsenal haven't got a war chest to go and to go and spend it. It looks like so anything that they that they get will be from what they sell. <clears throat> so the likes of Aubameyang might go, Ozil seems nailed on to go, and all of a sudden, if you can get forty million or fifty, sixty million maybe for the pair of them, if you're lucky, you've got you know half a million in wages in the um, sat there, and all of a sudden you've got the the means to go and buy a better midfield and a better. You know, a better uh, a striker with the with the with the money you save to help out on Ketia next season and, and Martinelli. So there's a lot of work to be done at Arsenal. I want Arteta to succeed, um, but there is a lot of work. I mean, it's going to take a bit of Harry Redknapping and you know wheeling and dealing to uh, to get this done. I'm, I've never seen a Spanish wheeler dealer before, um, but you know if if uh, if anyone could do it, Arteta's got experience in the English game. He knows everyone. He knows he's got contact in Spain. Everything he's he's well respected. I think it won't be that hard for for people to still be attracted to Arsenal and what they're trying to do, as long as they can get the wage budget sorted out. Building on that point, Arsenal's board really me off because they're stingy. That is a really big football club, a massive football club that had great success at the end of the nineties and the early two thousands. They're the only Premier League champions to ever go undefeated in a season. That wasn't fluke. Arsene Wenger built that side and picked up quality players. Before people say, oh, how can they be stingy? They spent 75 million on Nicola Pepe in the summer. Installments over a five-year period. That's stingy. Arsenal's board are stingy. They cannot be successful without spending money. I liken owning a big football club or any football club to like owning a a luxury yacht. You need to be rich and the luxury yacht's going to cost you more money. You're not going to make money off of a luxury yacht. You're going to sell it for half the price when you're done with it. It costs you money because it's a luxury product. Owning a football club is like owning a super yacht. You own it for enjoyment. You spend the money in and the pleasure you get out of it is to win trophies and have moments like Liverpool had with winning the league yesterday. So Arsenal, they just they just aren't... That, that isn't the case. 
Their owners are stingy. Now, I know clubs are feeling the pinch with coronavirus, but this is Arsenal Football Club. Spend some money. Spend some money and get back to that level that you want to be. Get back to that level that your supporters want you to be. I just find it absolutely baffling. And I understand this faith in young players and all the rest of it. Chelsea had to do that, as we know, because their hand was forced. Otherwise, they would have gone into the market and signed players. Look what they've done this window. Spent 50 million on Werner, spent a few million on Ziyech, as Marley said before. Arsenal haven't done that. They've tried to find the bargains and turn them into top players. As Marley said, they've signed Cedric, not played a game for Arsenal. Signed Mari, just damaged knee ligaments, might not come back the same player. Signed David Luiz, who is prone to a massive game-changing error. Bringing William Saliba back off of loan, probably going to pick him as first-choice centre-half next season. Never played a game in the Premier League. What are they doing Spend some money. It really winds me up. And I'm not even an Arsenal fan. I just think you cannot drift through the Premier League expecting not to spend money and still be competing at the top. It's never going to happen. I think what the Arsenal board see and they see themselves, they look at the Manchester United model and they say, we want a taste of that. But Manchester United are in a very different position to Arsenal Football Club. Manchester United are a money-making machine. They've had decades of being that money-making machine and Arsenal aren't at that level yet. So they want to be in a situation where they're able to take money out of the club, where they'll be able to take profits out without maybe major investment that is more than those profits. Now, the difference, obviously, with Manchester United is their profits are so huge, they can invest back into the club and the team we saw go out on the field for Manchester United the other day was the most expensive Premier League team in history. So they can do that, but Arsenal can't replicate that at the level they currently are. So you're right, yeah, it's kind of like a speculate to accumulate scenario, isn't it? They need to spend money, they need to improve that playing squad if they are going to get to that level and become one of the European elites, which I genuinely believe the owners and certainly the fans do want to be at that status. They're a big football club. They're a big, big football club with bags of history. Um, The most successful football club to come out of London in terms of trophies, I believe. I mean, Chelsea fans would argue because they've won the Champions League. And I think that that's definitely a debate to be had on another podcast. But they're a huge football club with a massive worldwide fan base, brilliant modern stadium. And, you know, they've got a, a manager now who could put something in place for them to be successful. But if he's not backed, he's not, they're not mm. going to get anywhere. And football clubs, I know we say that they're runners businesses now, which they are. Football clubs are businesses. But if you're running Arsenal Football Club to make a bit of cash to make a bit of extra money and not to be successful. You're in the wrong game, lads, because football is not about making money from uh, f- from a business perspective. It's turned into that. It's not. Football's about glory. I don't care what anyone says. Football's about winning trophies. What are Liverpool fans talking about and we'll talk about for a year is winning that Premier League. What everyone's talked about up till now is the fact they haven't won one for 30 years. Not about how much money they've made on net spend and players that they've sold for a certain amount of cash and how much dividends the directors get. No one cares about that. The talking's done on the pitch. Arsenal aren't doing their talking on the pitch. Their talking's happening upstairs at board level where they're trying to figure out how much dividends they can get rather than how many trophies they can win. And that's the problem for me. I think it's very optimistic to think that Liverpool are only going to talk about that trophy for a year. Niall, <laughs> we've got at least a decade of that. Uh, right, we're going to take a little break now. Thank you very much for listening to Football Social Daily. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll be back in a bit. We're going to answer some of your questions with our AQA section as it's Friday. We've got some of your questions to go through. And we're going to be talking to the guru, our fantasy football expert, who has some advice for you ahead of the fantasy Premier League deadline that is on Saturday. We'll do that all next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It is Friday and even though the season's restarted, we're trying to answer some of your questions on a Friday. You can get them into us via social media ahead of the podcast at the Sports Social on Twitter, Sports Social Official on Instagram, or you can search Sports Social on your Facebook pages and stuff. Uh, You can also find all of those on our brand new website, sports-social.co.uk, in case that's quite a lot to remember, which, let's face it, it is. So let's crack on with a couple of questions we've had in. First one is off Instagram. Tom Motcaf, I think this one's from. It says, if Villa get relegated, will Gratley Jack Grealish leave the club and which Premier League club will pick him up? How will he fit into the team? Will he be successful or will opponents continue to stop him by fouling him? So there's quite a lot to unpick there. Uh, 
will Jack Grealish leave? Where's he going? And how will he do? I think is the is the ultimate trio there. You can go first on this one, Marley. Uh, the thing I've been thinking about Grealish for uh, for a little while now since since it looked like Villa were going down, um, and I think with he's he's clearly got to go. Uh, he can't he can't go back down to the championship. Um, so with with that, I think his best um, his best place I think to go is, is Man United. Um, I think with with the way the way he plays, you know, with with Villa, everybody's realised now that if you stop Jack Grealish, you you stop Aston Villa, like you stop them scoring. It's as simple as that. Um, so he needs to go to a team where he's not the only threat because when he's not the only threat and you give him the ball he can he can do things that he can unlock defences and he can he can play killer passes he can score goals um, I mean, I was just thinking if you put him in the if you could get him in the Man United team somewhere I'm not I'm not sure where when everyone's fit but I think he's just got that mentality he just seems like a Man United type of player for me um, if you could get him on on the right side of a front three with Rashford and Martial, then I think that's a that's a great uh, a great signing. You know, with if you have uh, Matic, Pogba, and uh, Bruno Fernandes in the in the midfield three, and then Martial, Rashford, and Grealish in the in the front three, I think that's a hell of a uh, a front six you've got there. So um, other than that, I think Chelsea probably hasn't hasn't got the room to get in the Chelsea team. Arsenal haven't got the money to sign him. Spurs. Potentially be one. Spurs could maybe, maybe eye him in there. Little rebuild. Um, but other than that, he's he's got to go to a top six team. So it's just a guess of which one. Um, unless like Newcastle get taken over and, and fancy buying him, but that's never never gonna happen. I could be ninety five before that happens. I, I've almost given up on on waiting for that because it's bad for bad for your health. Um, but yeah, Grealish has got to go. I think I just think Man United have got the. The more everything fits for him, he seems to have that attitude of I just think he'd fit in there quite nicely. It's just a case of whether they can get him in the team every week and whether he can adapt to play on that right side. Because as far as I remember, I don't ever think I've seen him play from the right. Um, it's usually the left or in a midfield mm. three. So considering them positions are pretty much locked down at Man United, um, maybe maybe he needs a bit of a flexibility to go to the right and and prove what he can do. Ultimately, I guess, Niall, he's one of those players that any team would be grateful to have him. And I must admit, before the Project Restart stuff happened, I hadn't watched a great deal amount of Aston Villa in terms of watching full games. But in the last few weeks, I've watched him a couple of times and I've been so impressed with him. I've been pretty impressed with how deep he comes, how he comes and takes the ball off the defensive line and just everything seems to go through him. So I guess in terms of who would have him? I guess the answer is anyone who could afford him, isn't it? I think, Jim, the coronavirus pandemic might have a big impact on Jack Grealish's future because, first of all, if Aston Villa get relegated, his value is going to drop. Second of all, he's a very good player and excellent, and as Marley says, we'll get in any top six team and, as you say, is the catalyst for Villa. Really important and could probably slide in anywhere. But our club's going to be willing to shell out money for Grealish when there isn't that much money in clubs pockets right now with with the coronavirus pandemic um because he's English and he's an England international or certainly um going to be in that fight with Madison for an England spot then I think that his value is going to be raised slightly there so I, I just think maybe it might be difficult for him to get actually a move this summer now after after mm. what the situation is if Villa stay up and clubs can't afford to buy him he could stay there for another season now before lockdown I would never have said that last January before coronavirus came onto the radar I would never have said that but now my viewpoint slightly changed just because of it um, I just can't see him I can't see him moving on with the, with the finances that clubs supposedly have in this transfer window however I think Tottenham's a good shout Manchester United I'm not so sure I think if they can get Pogba and Fernandez functioning well together which look like they can do um, against Sheffield United, they played well. The last ten minutes of the Tottenham game, they played well together. Then, uh, then I, I can't see room for for Grealish in that squad, especially with the money that they could possibly have to shell out for him. Tottenham, though, is a shout. He's been linked with Tottenham before. 
Um, a move to Tottenham fell through at the very, very last from Aston Villa a couple of seasons ago. He ended up staying on and getting them promoted through the playoffs of the championship. And he was dead close to moving to Spurs that season. Tottenham have signed Jedson Fernandez, haven't they? Um, I think that's loan with an option to buy, but he's been rubbish. Really, compl- mm. I completely forgot he's at he's at Spurs. Yeah, yeah completely I did. forgot. He's been rubbish. So I mean, if they want to some wanted someone to come in there and do a job, then why not get Jack Grealish in there? Because Jedson Fernandez has been non-existent, and Deli Ali, it's not quite happened for him this season. He's not quite been the same player. He's been sort of off the boil. So maybe, um, maybe we could see uh, him come in and give Deli Ali a run for his money and, and be a bit more dynamic in that role. Right. The next question is. We're never going to be able to answer this. I mean, people are trying to answer it at the moment with far bigger brains and far better understanding of the social environment than us. But we'll have a, we'll, we'll raise it anyway as a point. Fred Cafaro on Instagram wants to know, why do you think there are so many black players in football, but only a few black managers? And obviously this is something that's been in the headlines recently. There aren't many BAME individuals in football in positions of authority, in positions of power. So why is this? Why are we not seeing that step up from player to manager or even to board member or senior figure within football clubs? I don't know. And as a, as a white man, it's probably um, quite ignorant of me to say that and I should probably do some more research into it and figure out why. But if I'm going to be bluntly honest here, I don't know. And we have seen black managers in the EFL, but proportionate. Uh, representation of black and Bami managers in the EFL is terrible. There's barely mm. any Asian players in the EFL, let alone anyone who could step it up and make it uh, into management. Um, we have seen some black managers in uh, the EFL in recent times. I'm thinking um, of Sol Campbell off the top of my head at this moment in time. Uh, we've also seen Keith Curl. Yeah, Keith Curl at Carlisle and now Northampton. Um Oh, Chris, Chris Powell. Powell. Chris, Chris Powell. Powell, yeah, sorry. The, 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 the fact you are struggling to remember who these individuals are or the fact that you can name them on like five hand proves there must be some yeah, kind of issue. there's an issue. And we, we, the, you're right, we're not going to solve the issue of why there are so few BAME managers in the game right now. But I think, I guess the issue is something needs to be done because there clearly is a disparity between the two the two figures, the people in the game and the people who make it into the senior roles. I wonder whether something, and we saw it in the American Football League recently, the introduction of the Rooney Rule, which ensures that a certain amount of the candidates that are being interviewed for a job must be of uh, certain ethnic origins. Would that be a positive step forward, Marley? Uh, it would be. It would be a positive in terms of making sure they at least have a shot of getting it. Um, I think... It's it's hard hard question to answer this. Uh, in short, Fred, we we don't know why there are so few. Um, you know, in an ideal world, you would like to think that there are, you know, there there are enough applying, and the only reason why we're we're not seeing a black and ethnic minorities get into positions is because the chairman and the decision makers are making the decision to go with someone else purely on on their talent and their their achievements in the game. Um you would like to think that whether whether that happens or not again we we don't know. We we don't know as as people what what's driving people's decisions of of that kind of thing and it's 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 a tough one to answer but at least if with the Rooney rule at least they're having a shot and at least there's some sort of record of of um, there being no racism because you know um, Sol Campbell got an interview as did Mark Hughes and as did you know Tony Pulis and, and people like that. So if you if you make the decision on on football in ability and what what you think's better for your club, fine. But if if you start getting levelled that you're you're not interviewing you know black and ethnic minorities, then you might have a problem. Completely. Is it opportunity? Is it training? Is it access to facilities? Or is it, and we don't want to believe there's inherent racism in our sport, but it potentially could be. It's something that does need looking at because there is clearly a bit of an issue. But thank you very much for your question, Fred. A difficult one to answer, and we probably failed to answer it completely, but we appreciate you getting in touch and asking it in the first place. 
It is time to talk fantasy football and get a little bit of advice before the fantasy football deadline that happens this Saturday for the next round. And we are joined by, from his Himalayan mountaintop somewhere, <laughs> the Guru. Right, let's crack on with some of your questions that have come in from the Guru. You can get your questions in via our social media channels. You can find all them on our new website, the hyphen, sorry, sport-social.co.uk to find that. First question comes from Danny Guru. He says... With Aguero out, it feels like there might be some hidden goals in the Manchester City squad somewhere. Who's going to step up to the mark and be worth a fantasy football punt? So Aguero being out, Aguero being out is always very exciting for fantasy and very terrifying as a City fan. So I always have this <laughs> duality of emotion I have to pull through. Uh, and that normally means I'm ripping out whatever expensive attacker I've got in and putting Jesus in his place, okay. um, who... Normally, even as a bit part player, ends up very high in terms of uh, shots on target against other strikers. Um, the the flip on that this time is that Pep seems cautious about keeping him fit for cup games. And now that Aguero's out, he's their only really leading and potential striker to lead the line when we absolutely need him. So he's spoken about playing Bernardo, playing... Um, uh, Gondogan and playing um, uh, Sterling in that place and, and rotating through. And we saw that against Chelsea, um, only really putting Jesus on because, it, you know, forced to against the game was going against his tide. So I think he's less of a certain to take that space. Uh, if I was to bring in one player for certain, it would probably be Mares. Uh, Mares normally in the top five midfielders, even when he's getting bit part bit part performances um, and whenever he gets even a semi-decent run in the games he normally crops up um, with a couple of goals and he's fairly consistent in terms of his output so with that in place and even Jesus not being um, not being guaranteed game time uh, I would go as a second um, City option with Maris. Uh he's the only player outside Everton who's started the three games so far so it looks like he's really solidified that place uh, that place on the right that not a lot of people can, can can contest him. Um, my number one would always be De Bruyne. I've had him from the start and I'll never take him out of my team ever. Um, <laughs> and then on the side of that, you probably have the budget option of Foden, who's suddenly getting more game time. Didn't play against Chelsea because he had a knock. Um, and I would look to whether he plays in the FA Cup to decide whether he's then going to play in obviously later week. But at 5.1, he fits very comfortably in that sort of fifth midfielder slot. Mm. Um, that you've probably got a mixture, mixture of either like Luis or Den Docker or um, Grandozzi already. Um, so as a slightly more expensive option, but uh, as someone who has one of the highest minutes played to goals ratios, um, I think he's definitely worth a punt. Um, and with the rotation that's coming through and with five subs, he's going to get guaranteed game time. And he's also shown his, imp- his potential as an impact sub. So... Um, the tricky bit is there's a load of great midfielder options at the moment, but I would definitely have him on as a fourth or fifth as a first choice um, bench player. There you go. A few options for you there, Danny, with uh, different price points as well. So next question comes from Helen, who says, I can't help thinking, I think this was sent before the title winning events last night. So she says, I can't help thinking Liverpool will drop off the performance and start to rotate. Now the title is all but one. It's obviously now one. So she's going to dump Trent Alexander-Arnold. She's going to dump Mane. She's going to dump Salah. In other words, she's got loads of money and she wants to know where she's going to spend it. Um, Yeah, I think it's a bit early to start dumping those players. I mean, if you're going to dump them, now's a good time because they're playing City next. and so I, I was looking at bringing City players in and I've just put that off a week because they're playing Liverpool, which is obviously a very tough game. Um, and I, I'm keeping all of my Liverpool players. I have three. I have Robertson, TAA, and I have um, Salah. And I'm, although we're going to see more rotation, they're still the best, uh, I, I, essentially in all positions, the best players in the games in terms of points output. Um and if you've had them, you've probably had them for a while, and so you've invested a lot of points. And so to make a bad decision and then recall it a week later is going to be very costly. So I would say to keep those players at the moment. Um, there might be there's a fairly good argument that in a couple of weeks you're going to be wanting to switch to people fighting for fourth position because mm. uh, they're going to be hungriest. And all those teams have great runs. I just wouldn't pull that trigger quite yet because we don't know 
how Klopp is going to play out the rest of the games. He hasn't got anything else to play for. So there's nothing to rest the players for. It's just to whether he wants to give other players a chance. So City, you're going to see a fair amount of resting because there's nothing to play for in the league, but everything to play for in the FA Cup the Champions League. Um, Liverpool haven't really got anything to play for in the FA Cup space. And so, you know, Champions League then runs into later stages. Actually, have they played their second leg? I haven't kept track. Are they still in it? Uh, Liverpool. Liverpool are out. They they lost yeah. to Atletico. No, they're just they're yeah, so nothing to play for at all. So you know, I I can see Salah playing every game to go for Golden Boot. I can see um, a strong defence to give Allison the the um, Golden Gloves. I can still see them being very hungry and very aggressive in their performances, and they want to beat um, City's records for points scored um, and and position and so on. Uh, I think it's City that will die down and will go heavy into rotation. Um, but lo- looking at those fourth place positions, United's running is uh, Brighton, Bournemouth, Villa, Southampton, Palace, West Ham and Leicester. Um, so United, very exciting time to be a fan of those for once. Um, but also a lot of FPL players, um, very excited about those potential. Fernandez, Martial and Rashford uh, and maybe Pogba's return as well. All looking very exciting in terms of their underlying stats and also their returns at the moment. Um, Martial pick up his first hat trick. Um, well done to everyone who captained him at the weekend. Uh, I had him in my team. I was terrified because everyone had Fernandez, and then he pulled it with a hat trick, which has put me in just about the top three thousand players. Which is uh, very thank you very much, Marshall. Um, and uh, Chelsea, West Ham, Watford, Palace, uh, Sheffield United, Norwich. Before we're going to Liverpool and the Wolves at the end, and then Wolves, Aston Villa, Arsenal, Sheffield, Everton, um, Burnley, Palace, and Chelsea. So all three of those have great run-ins. And they're going to be very hungry. Um, you should have at least a mix at the moment of those two. So if you've already pulled that trigger, I would go into those clubs and start looking for players. Uh, Chelsea's been the one people have stayed away from. But I think Pulisic looking back in form and back in health um, looked very dangerous against City. Not going to get quite as many options to play behind teams as you are against City. Um, but he's looking very aggressive and uh, a, a really good investment. And if you haven't already got two or three Wolves players, you've been doing it wrong. Uh, and you've already lost your season. So that's that's uh, that's uh, an easy one. Talking to Chelsea guru, um, I'm having some issues at the moment in my team with Callum Hudson-Odoi. Now, since I drafted him in, he's had more arrests than he has points in fantasy fantasy football. So it's starting to wind me up a little bit. I've got Aubameyang, I've got Salah, I've got Adama Traore, I've got some useful players, I've got Madison and Vardy as well. So I've got players that have been decent, but Hudson-Odoi has not been doing it for me. Hudson Odoi isn't worth the most, so who do you think I can get the most value out of in terms of a replacement? Yeah, so if it's a like for like, I've just looked at Hudson Odoi's five two, so it doesn't really give you any options. Uh, bar the one I mentioned before, Foden's five one. Um, so if you're looking at uh, an impact player, um, someone who's who's a bit of a differential and may be able to get in, um, then uh, I think. That's probably your most likely option. Now, if you have, if you banked a couple of transfers, you can swap players around. Um, then you're, you're looking at if you've already got Triore, that sort of covered your midfield in Wolves, and there are many other strong positions. So you're probably looking at um, either Pulisic comes in at six nine, so not too far ahead, um, and it would be him or Mount. But at the moment, with Pulisic coming uh, and locking in that place ahead of. Hudson Odoi because they both take that that sort of offensive left position. I would lean on them. Um, and if you can get a bit more, I think you're looking at Martial at eight um, or Bruno Fernandes, who I believe is now eight seven. Um, and I've gone for Martial just because he takes that he takes that lead position on United. I won't be surprised if that's not his position next season. And so you're going to make hay while he still has that. Now, uh, this is from Paul, and it's a really quick one. He wants to know when he should play his triple captain and wild card. He's still got them chips left. So essentially, I guess the question is, do we have any more double games weeks? No, you should have played it two weeks ago. <laughs> okay. So no, that's the quick one. What should he do with it then? Have he still got it Well, left? there's, um, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure what's being happened on the next round of FA Cup. Um, whether that that's going to then push, um, I don't even know where you put double the game weeks. Everyone's playing twice a week, so I don't even know yeah. where you start to reorganise um, games. Um, but I, I know that they'd already considered the first this round of FA Cup. But I don't know what's happening next. Um, but either way, well, if you have a triple, triple captain, you should play either on a double game week or um, against 
a top four team who's playing Villa. That's basically <laughs> one of your two options. Um, Arsenal are playing Villa. No, they're not. Are they? Wait, who have I got coming up? Because um, I, I know that... Oh, Arsenal got Norwich. That's why I did Martin for this week. I've got a feeling Liverpool might have Villa. Yes, Liverpool have got Villa um, the next week. So if they're still playing at strong teams, um, Salah, Villa, or even like Trent Alexander-Arnold, Villa on a triple captain is fairly good because they can't score um, at the moment. And it is um, at Anfield. Um, in terms of wild card, you're probably looking at um, either the last game or the last two games um, because uh, you're locked into that team. And so you're really using it to take a chance on point scorers within the week. Um, so I've still got my wild card. I'm gonna I'm gonna start looking at it at the second to last week if I think that the choices I make will run me um, better off against two games. But otherwise, I'm mostly looking at just putting the best team possible into that final week. Um, if there are any sec- two, uh, two double game weeks coming in before then. Thank you very much, as always, for some brilliant fantasy football advice. We'll let you get back to your chanting and your meditation. <laughs> Thank you very much. Right, that is it for Football Social Daily for another week. Thank you very much for joining us. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, if you want to shout out on an episode, you can leave us a review via Apple Podcasts or however you listen to your podcasts. Thank you very much to Niall and Marley. Thank you. Cheers, Jim. And we'll see you next time. Football Social Daily. Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa. Just ask Alexa. Open Sports Social. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.